Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Back in May, RA and NTS Radio teamed up for a day of programming from the ICA in London. The idea was simple, bring a handful of RA's writers, favorite artists, and promoters down to chat and play music over the East London broadcaster's airwaves. We kicked off the day with a critics roundtable. It's the first one we've ever recorded live, and the first roundtable in quite a while to feature a proper mid-year roundup. RA editor Ryan Keeling led the discussion, with associate editor Will Lynch, news editor Aaron Coultate, myself, and longtime contributor Stephen Titmus, each coming to the ICA with a list of favorite events, albums, and artists from the first half of 2014. We kept it pretty loose, and hope you'll forgive a couple of rough moments in the audio, but as you can imagine, everyone had quite a bit to say. If you missed the live broadcast, here's the roundtable presented in full. Yeah, this is really painting to be like a one-dimensional character. So my favourite party of the last year or so has um, been Your Melody Club Night, which is run by Floating Points of Plastic People. Really, the most interesting thing for me about that party was if you get the right people together in the right place, in the right club, it can really be surprising what music can work. It's just about really rare soul music and jazz. And there was one bit where one of the DJs, Jeremy Unground Paris, who's like a big record collector from Paris, he was playing this record by Lalo Schifrin, which is middle of the night. And this is just like really breezy, kind of groovy jazz funk. And people are screaming, going, yes, over this like cheeky little guitar solo. It was really unusual and all the better for it. But it sounds like people will come to the event with, uh, or they're invested in the idea that they're gonna respond this way. It's like this, you know, this collective idea that we're gonna go there and go mental to music that you would associate with a club like that. I, d- I don't know, because especially on the first one, I don't think anyone really knew what it was all about. So That's what I want to ask you, actually. Yeah, yeah. On one side, it was really nerdy, like really nerdy. Like, Floating Points was using these 5,000 pound electromass Technics turntables that are as big as a washing machine and you can't mix on them and the sound quality is like better and then he's got this really expensive mixer that's all rotary and it sounds you know really great and they're playing these super rare records but it was a young crowd and it was like the crowd itself were just really up for it they weren't like peering over the decks train spotting they were dancing and I think all those elements together made a whole that was really just unusual and, mm-hmm. and really fun Oh, who is it that he has down there? You, okay, yeah, so so for the first one, he had Underground Paris, who's kind of like a relatively, you know, up-and-coming, like, house DJ from Paris, but he's also a real big record collector. And then they had this guy called Red Greg, who used to run, like, an 80s boogie night in London, who's, like, you know, not really anyone's ever heard of, but he's a cool record collector. Then the next one, he got his friend over from New York, Love on the Run, again, he's just, like, a record collector guy. So he's not bringing big names down, he's just bringing people he rates. And having a night where people are playing records where they just like to a crowd is kind of 
obvious, but it's really unusual as well. And we're just doing phase between tracks as well, we're assuming, because you're not, you know, you, it doesn't have pitch control and turntable. Yeah, they're just playing them from start to finish and people are like applauding at the end. So Yeah, it's brilliant. I love listening to the recordings of these because you can just hear how, how much the crowd is getting into it. I mean, um, I guess the turntables pick up a little bit of the, the crowd noise. Yeah, that must have been it. But, you know, they've done, done another one with Hooney the other night. And again, it was meant to be amazing. And the, you're right, all the way through, people people are cheering for, like, jazz funk. It's just, you know, not normal, right? <laughs> you never thought you'd see the day, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's probably the, the sort of flagship event at Plastic People these days because, I mean, that club's been home to some pretty amazing sort of seminal club nights like Co-op and Ford, but... I mean, Theo Parrish still plays there pretty regularly and they do have some really good nights, but I think Floating Points is probably the person who embodies the club better than anyone these days. Yeah, I think that would be fair. Uh, so, Jordan, um, it was fairly recently, was it, the, uh, the party that you selected? Yeah, so RA went to Offenbach outside of Frankfurt, um, did a party at Robert Johnson, which is um, by far the most famous club in Offenbach, probably the only club. <laughs> Probably the only club in Offenbach, but uh, I'm, I'm a little biased in this. You know, RA is putting on a party there, but this party really blew my mind. Um, Fortet was the headliner, but uh, Gerd Jansen and Oliver Hoffenbauer, who were two residents of the club, also played, and it was just great. I, I think for me, the the kind of fourth headliner was the club itself. I hadn't been to Robert Johnson. But it was such an exhilarating place to see music. It's a really simple room. It's not super big, maybe 300 people max in there. The sound is perfect, and the the vibe is just really great. Gerd Jansen kind of played this like chugging house. Fortet kind of just busted out the tunes. It was just tune after tune after tune. I think my favorite set of the whole thing, though, was from Oliver, who's, um, I believe, the booker for the club, or one of the bookers for the club. And um, I, I guess uh, he kind of played from house into techno and back in a house. It was just a, kind of about his... Uh, varied of a, a set as you can get with doing 4-4 four, four, but it just had such a nice flow to it and the sun was kind of like streaming in through the doors the crowd had thinned out to kind of like just the just the like true ravers and um, you know in Berlin we, we get great parties all the time but there was something about this that just felt like we don't get parties like this in Berlin very often and I don't get parties like this almost anywhere it was just a great great night no will you were there as well we yeah similar feelings on it yeah yeah um, it's my second time at Robert Johnson but this one was much better than the other time I'd been I was sort of thinking about the fact that I feel like it's sort of a club ideal people say like you know just a room no lights really good sound you know but like how you barely ever actually see that you know, realized, um, I guess maybe plastic people on, you know, um, yeah, just about say, form is sort of the other version of that. I mean, um, would you, would you compare those clubs? Well, I've been to plastic people, but I've never seen it really go off or I, I don't think I fully get plastic people personally, but, um, I, I guess overall I, I sort of, I mean, some of the stuff Steve was saying, like Robert Johnson, two, um, places an incredible emphasis on just the quality of sound in there. They also, you know, have an extremely good rotary mixer. Like, th- there's obviously kind of a similar philosophy. And also, Fortet played the party, and he was able to play lots of stuff with, like, live drums, and it sounded really, really fat. Um, you know, it could slot in neatly next to, like, like a recent house track. Um, well, and, and for not being, like, a very big room, you could play pretty big tunes in there. Yeah, I mean, Oliver was playing, I mean, a lot of it was pretty aggressive like it, yeah. you know and there's something about that that is you know he, he played a few or he it played at least two ben clock tracks in a row and it's in a room filled with sunlight and when the sound is that um enveloping 
you know, you'll kind of roll with whatever they're dishing out. I also selected Nare Party. Unfortunately, it was Goodness. Uh, <laughs> what we like. I went over to Austin a couple of months back for South by Southwest. It was the second time that we'd, uh, I was going to go say event, but showcase, I think is the, uh, is the correct terminology out there. I guess, I guess the first thing is someone who's never been there and as it being an event that's not traditionally known for electronic music, it's kind of, it's tough to get your head around a little bit to begin with, like just even this idea of showcase and people migrating and people treating uh, DJ sets very differently. I remember the, one of the first things I saw was Cashmere Cat at Pitchfork at a showcase, which was an outdoor type of affair. And um, people's body language was as though he was a band. You know, people were stood stock still waiting for this performance to take place, readdress how you think about DJ set almost. So, um, yeah, we had a stat lineup at a club called Elysium, which is on the main drag and is a rock club ordinarily with all the, the smells and the production that goes along with that. I mean, it was, I think for me, probably musically, the most exciting RA event we've ever had. Started off with Rabbit, who was playing kind of like dislocated grime jams and it was Seth was afterwards which is this like little known project on Uno which is ordinarily Gobby and vocalist whose name I'm forgetting now it's Jamie Jamie Kay it's Jamie Kay yeah, isn't it James yeah but Gobby missed his flight so um, I mean again that kind of was spaced out in a similar way that Rabbit was but then I think when the whole thing really caught fire um it was this kind of a run where everything seemed to come together and became really busy, which is by no means like a given, but South by. And Jesse Lanza, who's an artist we've kind of featured pretty heavily and been supporting an RA, played live and it was striking. I mean, I think there's two schools of thought between like the recreation of an album, you know, whether it's a good thing and maybe whether a performer should be more flexible and, you know, bring something new to the table. But she just used a like incredibly simple setup and just sang in a very measured and controlled and confident way. It wasn't, you know, it was as exciting and as kind of well executed and composed as the record itself is. And then Machine Drum, who follows, was also like striking in that it was he was performing a concept album. So his latest album was based on this idea that every track was a different zone of an imaginary city. I mean, to say it out loud, it sounds kind of naff, and you know, <laughs> and there was a visual element of, his, of it as well. It was just him and a drummer, but I guess I don't remember um, like a visual component and a music coming together in a way that made so much sense. Like you were hurtling through a different zone of the city, and to kind of see what was going on, you it felt like it made perfect sense for that piece of film. And yeah, they just built to an amazing crescendo. Like by the end, his drummer was kind of like stood up on his kit. Like Travis was at the front of the stage, like banging something and singing. And um, important thing to bear in mind is he's playing, um, you know, most of his stuff's like jungle or footwork tempo. And it's an hour long set, at which they're keeping time at that pace, like 160, 170 BPM with like live drumming. And then following that, kind of on a, um, a similar tempo to it was um, Spin and Rashad, which I think everybody agreed was like the standout set of the night. It was funny to see them come out with like 
towels over their heads and like a, you know there was a definite vibe and they knew what they were going to do and Spin was kind of getting down the front of the stage like hyping everyone and Rashad was just just keeping things going I think he was playing no more of like 60 seconds of a track before smashing the next thing in wasn't wearing headphones was just queuing stuff up like getting it in and then I don't know if anybody like ever investigated it afterwards but there was like a like stage invasion where all the people in their wider group like put on Tech Life t-shirts and kind of invaded the stage and looked like incredibly awkward like dancing around to all this like super fast music I'd like to think they orchestrated it but um, yeah I mean obviously that one has a bit more of a special resonance with Rashad's passing recently so I think getting to see him recently like in his like full pomp like full tilt was like really special I think that will definitely stay with me and then Shlomo brought down like really expertly you know it was a little bit more mellow and melodic but yeah really like cats out for the night so how long was this showcase I mean how long were the sets I also actually haven't mentioned Jacques Green and the Ranger Lee Bannon who played as well epic <laughs> yeah it was a stacked lineup. but I mean most people were doing like 45 to 60 minutes I think we got started at 8 and finished about 2 Best, you know, a 2am finish, it's great for me these days. <laughs> I guess the general narrative of, of South by Southwest is that each year electronic music sort of plays a slightly bigger role. Being on the ground there, did you get a sense of that at all? Uh, yeah, I think very much. But I, I think the observation, the sort of encapsulation I made in my review was that while it is on the rise, that doesn't come along with club culture, with the DJ culture as we kind of know it it seems like the crowd there needs like this hip-hop lens almost even in the way like I know someone like Jack Green for example he's playing like lots of well he's playing lots of house and related stuff but just even in his body language there was something very hip-hop about all of the performers and Shlomo is kind of the same so they may not be playing hip-hop tempo or playing hip-hop but there's something more of the spirit of um, that performance style and that culture in the music that there maybe is like you know spirit of 88 rave and like club culture as we kind of know it Aaron I was going to come to you next it was also a recent event for you was it? it was last week wasn't it yeah it was Charles Cohen performing live at Cafe Oto in London basically the, the rundown of the night was uh, Morphosis opened and then Charles Cohen played solo and then there was a bit of a, a jam session at the end but the, the reason I've selected this as my, my favourite event of the year so far was, was really because of Cohen's solo set. Basically, his signature instrument is the, the Buchler Music Easel, and he's been playing the thing since 1976, so as you can imagine, he's, he's pretty good at it. And it was just you just got this really obvious sense of someone who's mastered their instrument, which you don't really see very very often. He was just so at ease with it. Just to go back to what you were saying, what does playing this instrument look like what is this instrument <laughs> well that's a question i might pass over to jordan to explain a bit more thoroughly because he's he interviewed charles but basically from what i could see he was he had the the easel and a couple of what looked like kind of effects units plugged into it and he was just sort of gently coaxing sounds out of this thing you couldn't really see exactly what was what was going on but he was just he was sitting there like super calm just making really gradual adjustments to to the easel and the sounds that came out of it were just you know really beautiful yeah i mean basically steven to, to explain what it is i mean it's a it's it's a synthesizer it's almost modular it kind of has a set signal path so you would you would call it semi-modular i guess 
But uh, the Buchla is, you know, was this sort of fully modular synthesizer that Morton Sabotnik made famous, Silver Apples of the Moon. Um, it's kind of famous for having this really weird workflow and making these really incredible sounds. The Music Easel was more, it's smaller, it actually like fits in a suitcase. And it was sort of made to kind of be the performance instrument. And it's extremely expressive. Like when I went to Charles Cohen's apartment in Philadelphia, I guess earlier this year to interview him, he kind of like let me play it a little bit. And I did a feature on him. And I think I mentioned this in the feature that um, it has this kind of metallic keyboard. And um, I touched it. It was just like immediately it just made this crazy noise. And you kind of move your finger around the keyboard and it makes all these other crazy noises. And... Um, I was just kind of making noises. I had no idea what I was doing. And then he sits down. He's like, I'm like, would you show me what you do? And he just kind of starts manipulating it in this way. Like he's playing a, you know, violin or a harpsichord or something. I, you know, and, I think and, you have something like a minority report or something here. Or something it looks here. a lot less high tech than it something in minority. It, report. It's more like it's from Brazil. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brazil. Like it yeah. looks like a, a retro vision of the future kind of thing. Yeah. Also as a lay person, um, I saw Charles Cohen perform with two other lay people um, and um, we were just mystified by, okay, so you know the plugging stuff in, putting it in different ports, like that's a normal modular thing. But then he also had um, these like cards. He was inserting different cards. Yeah, you, in, like, you put the patches on these cards. It's it's yeah, it's totally Terry Gilliam. It's crazy. <laughs> and how would you how would you describe the sound that's coming out of this thing? I mean, it, what I've heard so far is like weird. <laughs> okay, well the, the first half. Well, firstly, he started off by speaking as he started sort of getting some sounds out of it, like spoken word borrowed from like Chinese philosophy or something like that. So he kind of set this kind of cosmic tone. And then the, the first part of the set was very much sounds that you'd probably associate with a, a modular, like sort of bleeps and bloops. And then as it went on, the, the sounds kind of smeared out a bit more and then became a bit more ambient, I guess. And then he finished it off by with another sort of spoken word segment so I had this really nice arc to it. And, yeah, I mean, there's a thing like the 10,000-hour rule, which is kind of like a school of thought, that you, if you spend 10,000 hours at something, you will, you will master it. I mean, I'm pretty certain he's done that. He's probably, he's probably chalked up 20,000 hours with that, with that thing. And, yeah, it really showed. Will, you have selected another... Well, no, I guess it was a few months ago now uh, in your hometown of Berlin. You want to tell us what you picked? Yeah. Uh, Bear Kind's uh, Sylvester party, which is the New Year's Eve party, um, which part of me naturally thinks that's a bit of an obvious choice, I guess. As I was um, going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I would just basically be uh, full of shit if I chose anything else, because um, it was it just made a huge impression on me as a party. And um, I guess I should make clear that that was the fifth New Year's in a row that I went to Bear Kind and go there countless times per year. So it wasn't like I was, you know being blown away by it because it was my first time there or something like that. Obviously, a lot of the music was fantastic. I saw Function, Luke Slater, DJ Pete, Nick Hopner, Marcel Detman, Tim Sweeney, Answer Code Request. Um, they were all great. But I guess the thing that really um, kind of made an impression on me was, like, I guess there's kind of a, uh, a rave ideal or like at a good party or good festival or something we, there's an effect that it's like a kind of alternate reality has been constructed and going into this event is like slipping into some kind of parallel universe that sort of has different norms, just different codes of behavior. And it just sort of feels like 
you know, you slip through the rabbit hole kind of. And I've sort of felt that way at various other events before, certainly at Bearkind before. But for some reason, I guess, first of all, the ridiculous length of the party, which is, you know, more than 36 hours or something like that. And also just the fact that because it's New Year's, everyone just kind of goes for it a little bit more um, in terms of how they're acting, um, what they're wearing, which sounds shallow, but it's, you know, people wear really weird shit and kind of take on these um, bizarre kind of surreal personalities. Um, There's just kind of this effect that, and obviously this is gigantic and it's bigger on New Year's because they have the laboratory, which is normally a men's only sex club. And um, at the time I was thinking like, it feels like a, a mini city or something where different parts have different personality types that hang out there. Like there's one bar where it's all guys in leather upstairs. It's more like, you know, um, hipstery art school kids. And there's the German ravers that, you know, in the front of the dance floor. And, and then a, a few months later, the New Yorker wrote this article that I uh, wrote a lot about Berkheim. Uh, unsurprisingly, they sort of put it much better than I just did, which was to say that uh, Berkheim at times feel, feels like a coral reef, um, different species of fish like gravitating towards different parts of the reef, which, yeah, is, is basically exactly what I thought. And um, there's just this feeling that every single moment that you're there, you know, waiting um, for the toilet, um, trying to get a drink, everything feels like very cinematic and, and just so pregnant with detail um, that there's, there's kind of never a dull moment. Actually, a few months earlier, I'd been on a panel with uh, Nick Hopner, and he kind of smirkingly referred to Berkheim as a um, Gesamtkunstwerk, you know, meaning like a total work of art, like like everything about it is like a, you know, breathing work of art, which he was sort of being cheeky when he said it, like he knew it was a bit of like a, you know, um, indulgent thing to say, but it felt very, very easy to agree with on that night in particular. Uh, who was the highlight set for you? I guess uh, Function played the most like, jams um but then luke slater was just like i never really gotten him before i've seen him before it never quite clicked for me but um it was just absolutely it was like a monsoon like you know just like a relentless just like avalanche of psychedelic noise and it was just pretty incredible all right let's move on then uh the next topic we wanted to get into was uh some of our favorite albums of the year jordan i'm going to come to you first yeah, let's do it. You're shaking your head. No. <laughs> well, well, the the yeah, the album that I had down was uh, the the Terrier album, the Todd Terrier record. It's album time, which for me is it's like I kind of can't deny it. We played it in the office for the first time, you know, around the time that it came out, and um, like nobody disliked it. And usually in the RA Berlin office, there are a couple of haters, you know, lurking around. But yeah, this, this album is undeniable. In fact, like, I really think that, like, I, I'm not sure that I would trust people who don't like it. Like, uh, I just, I, I think that they're basically full of shit. Did it not catch you off guard a little bit to begin with? Because it, it is a departure for him in a way. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think it shows off his, his range. You know, there's, um, there are obviously, like, the big dance tunes. Maybe the one criticism you could level at the album is that a lot of the material on there already exists. You, you've already heard it seems like a slightly unfair criticism but like, you know if you left off inspector norse which is the big single like people would go oh my god you can't yeah, yeah, that well, off too, so. especially you know considering how well it all flows it's like he kind of took a lot of these big singles and he stitched them together with um with tunes that i think show off his influences a lot you know um like like the brian ferry tune for example it's uh you basically just get the sense that it's being informed by a lot more than uh, than just dance music but the, uh, I, I don't know, I guess the way that I've been thinking about it, like, it's, you know, there's been so much music that's come out that's had crossover appeal 
where it's sort of like dance music sort of trying to speak to pop people, like to get pop people on board with dance music or rock people on board with dance music. But this almost felt like it was going in the other direction, like uh, getting dance music people on board with pop. It's like an impeccably produced, you know, sort of new disco or house record that also plays around a lot with dance conventions mm. or, or with, uh, with pop conventions rather. Well, you mentioned the, the crossover appeal aspect there. I was actually back in, in Australia in December and listening to a station there, Triple J, and their electronic programming generally at the moment sort of revolves around stuff like Dead Mouse and Skrillex. And um, I was just giving it a bit of a, a listen and uh, Inspector Norse came on and I was like, okay, great. This is, I was really kind of pleased that I had made it through to a fairly major sort of commercial station there. And I mean, if it, I really hope it does. It, it, the music that he makes and the music that he's presented on that album definitely deserves a really wide audience. Mm-hmm. All right, let's hear something from it. This is Johnny and Mary, which is the Brian Ferry track. Yeah, well, um, my favourite album of the year so far is Fatima's uh, debut album, Yellow Memories. And if you don't know much about Fatima, um, she's a singer that's signed to uh, Floating Points and Alexander Nuts record label Eglo. And 
basically she's been around for quite a few years actually she's been around since about 2009 doing lots of different singles for lots of different people uh, singing and co-writing a lot of the time uh, people with even as wide as like Scratch the DVA and, and Dane Funk have had all different kinds of um, Fatima songs on there but this it's quite weird quite telling actually that she's waited so long to do her debut simply because this album actually feels like a great listen all the way through if you listen to it from start to finish there's a definite vibe about it it's kind of really introspective quite quite interesting jazzy um, hip hop soul stuff and um, funny enough Jordan was talking about oh how could have you know Todd Terry left Inspector Norse off of his album well you can tell a lot from Fatima's album from the record she's left off she's got loads of great singles such as Phone Line which she done with uh, Funky Even um, Mind which she done with Floating Points they're not on there she dumped them she's left them on the kind <laughs> room floor and that's a bold choice for a debut album you know she was, obviously wants to make an impact but it's all been done for the good of the whole so listen to it as one it's great and again um, I'm going to talk about Southport again but uh, Fatima was performing there and live she is the real deal like she she has no right to be as confident as she is on stage she's like throwing her hands up hip hop style she's doing her records completely different than they are on the album doing the ballads that like in to make them to, into dance tracks changing the time signatures of other records yeah I am I am definitely in awe of uh, Fatima right now and Floating Points produced roughly was it like 30-40% of the record yeah he produced um, I think he produced 5 of the 12 and there's two definite really big standout moments they've done the first track which is um, actually written with Theo Parrish too called Do Better it's kind of big symphonic climactic it kind of the kind of climax that you don't really hear in a lot of um, modern soul music simply because it's all live and it kind of builds up. But then the other track that is a real standout is called Biggest Joke of All. And that's just so simple. It's like a boom bap beat, as simple as it could be, and just floating points on a keyboard and Fatima singing. But somehow together, it's all just fantastic. And it's you need real talent to make something so simple sound great. And they've done it. Yeah, we were talking about this idea of kind of transcending genres before. And I think the interesting thing with that is if... Um, given a slightly different context a slightly different label like we just wouldn't be listening to this record like it's it's not necessarily pointing to stuff that comes from the electronic and dance music world but just this sort of ecosystem that Eglo's got around it with um, real like rich deep like musical past like someone like Sam Floating Points yeah I mean I'm just very pleased that it's kind of orbiting in our world I think like Eglo more than most other labels definitely feels or looks like a, a real family and a really kind of tight-knit crew and I think you, you can tell from from listening to this this record and, and also just the, the visual look of it and everything that's gone into it that you know not only Fatima but you know Alex Nutt and Floating Points and everyone else that was involved in the production side of things have really kind of put their heart and soul into it so I think that's, that's pretty nice. So um, we're playing Biggest Joke of All. Do you remember who this was produced by? That's Flopo. Oh, sorry, did you say Flopo? Flopo. Oh, Flopo. Flopo. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Everybody knows Flopo. <laughs> I finally can hear the words we spoke for so long 
Well, I guess it has a bit of a, on a subjective level, it had been a long time since I liked a new album that I guess you could roughly describe as a pop album, like with, you know, lyrics and whatnot, verses and choruses, that sort of thing. Also, when I was like a teenager, I liked stuff like Skinny Puppy Ministry. And I think the kind of dreary, um, you know, wouldn't want to say goth, but, you know, that sort of like dark side of things, um, you know, sort of struck a chord with me. But then... I guess more simply, um, it was just the kind of thing where it was like, when I heard the album, I just thought it felt like a breakthrough album. Like I liked hate rock before. And I know some of you guys, my fellow RA writers, um, preferred uh, work, 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 um, which I can actually sort of understand. But, um, in a way that's a little hard for me to put my finger on, this album just seemed like a, a huge leap forward for, for this band that something about it just felt classy and kind of smart. Um, I thought, the lyrics were very um, understated, but really, really effective. Like the first track, 
the refrain she says this time uh, i'm gonna love you much better which is sort of like you know there's not so much going on there but something about it it there's this implied guilt um, there's something very like sort of dark and also erotic about it um i think the album is sort of loaded with these um these lines that feels like they sort of creep up on you um they're they're simple but as you um listen to the album they, they have these sort of layers of um implication and everything that, that make them very powerful i guess and then on top of that i just really like the production style um super super simple the the way they use reverb and echo and delay it's it's almost like the beats are leaving like trails in the air or something um sort of uh yeah trippy shimmering sort of thing but generally speaking I, something i said in my review of the album was it's a very unusual marriage of two feelings which on the one hand is this sort of kind of paranormal dark not exactly nightmarish but sort of like a dark dreamlike thing and then on top of that this very very tender warm intimate thing and there's there's something sort of strange and potent about that um combination which for me really defines the album it's, it's kind of running throughout the whole album aaron i know you've been following the group quite closely over the last however many years uh, were you kind of initially surprised at the direction they'd taken because it was i mean to me it was noticeably more dub influence you're talking about the kind of space and the and the reverb and delay i guess yes and no psychic nine to five club is definitely more spacious and and sort of stripped back than than work 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 which was their, their previous album i guess that's to be expected because halfway through making work 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 one of the three original members of the, the band died sean so they went into psychic nine to five club as as a duo and a lot of the kind of guitar-y sounds that that sean brought to work 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 are obviously not evident on on their new record but what i think they've they've done is 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 made something really interesting out of what they've got all right let's go to uh give it up
So um, my selection, I've gone for something a little bit out of left field. Uh, I've gone for the soundtrack to Under the Skin, which was the new film from Jonathan Glazer, which is easily my favourite film of the year so far. I think it was something like 10 years in the making. As a summary, it features Scarlett Johansson in the lead. She drives around Glasgow in a big white transit van. She lures men into the van, drives them back to her scrotty apartment and then consumes them into a black ooze because the twist is she is an alien. So a romantic comedy then. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not a twist. I framed it wrong. But the, the film is, I mean, it's mostly, I, I believe she's the only actual actor because most of it was shot as kind of secretive cameras. Like the, the van certainly, the, these are things that actually happened. You know, what you're seeing is a conversation between uh, Scarlett Johansson wearing a wig and a Glaswegian guy who's coming back from the pub. So as a result, the dialogue is kind of kept to a, a minimal, which means that the music is kind of working as hard as the, as the speaking parts. It gets to this point where, in terms of the music and the way that it's being advanced, like you know that something significant or the next thing is happening by the barest, sparsest percussion sounds. Mikachu put the soundtrack together. It was the first such project that she did, and... Uh, reading a little bit into it I think she kind of locked herself away for 10 months and came up with a bunch of what she described as fucked up sounds and then whittled them down to something that kind of I think the closest thing it resembled to me or something recently that it resembled was something like Hacks and Cloak where you get this like very very heavy sense of dread and real like power in the music using uh, you know a, a ridiculously uh small number of elements um some of like the incidental sounds as well just as I, I was explaining just the kind of smallest little knock takes on just this insane amount of resonance like in the context of this film i mean i'm, I'm definitely not saying that the soundtrack is a, an area of like expertise or anything for me but what it seemed to be my kind of interpretation of it was there was a wonderful kind of marriage of like quite traditional like string work that you would associate with something that's kind of pertaining to this idea of horror or uh, you know something alien uh, kind of mixed in with more like modern synthesis techniques and and stuff along those lines so i'm going to play uh, a track called death from said soundtrack
Right, so after that cheery selection, Aaron, what have you got for us? Going to bring it back a bit. Um, apologies in advance for the pronunciation here, but the album I've picked is by Geschlotten Circle, and it's called Submit X. So basically, Geschlotten Circle is this vaguely mysterious character who apparently lives in Russia but is affiliated with the, the Hague kind of crew and has put out a, a couple of pretty excellent records in the last three or four years. And there's, there's a couple of tracks that he's made, um, Twisted Balloon and Your Magic, are the two that really stand out they're the kind of things that um, when you hear them at a party you're kind of like what the hell is this you know you find yourself kind of gravitating towards the booth to find out what's being played and he's oh I do yeah (laughs) with iPhone out and yeah so he's bringing out his debut album this year for me it's it's the best uh, dance music LP I've I've heard this year and I I sort of mean that in the the literal sense like there's been a few really good electronic Albums from the likes of Kasim Moss and Joe Anderson, but by and large they've been more sort of contemplative affairs. This record really just goes for the jugular and it's, you know, just full, chock full of tunes that you could play out at peak time, basically. Uh, Will, you're, I think you're also feeling this record. If, uh... Yeah, I would uh, echo many of Aaron's sentiments, but um, in general I just think this guy, especially on this album, there's just this like ferocious feeling to it this track is actually kind of one of the funkier ones but yeah some of the, they just sounds they're just like barreling forward with this just kind of like wild aggression like the sort of ineffable feeling a lot of techno goes for um i think is pretty much nailed on on much of this album and then it still has but on top of that it has kind of like a almost like a sense of humor or something like there's there's a bit of like sci-fi camp um to some of the vocal samples it doesn't seem like it takes itself too seriously in a way this i you know, uh, hesitate to quote um, Hard Wax, but their little one-liners said it was straight from the sewer, which is pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it. I know, I, I can kind of sense what you're getting at. For me, it reminded me of someone like Mr. G, who at some point in their production career found this, like, effects chain of, like, compression EQ that just afforded them this impossibly slamming sound. And I get that same feeling from his music. You know, I, I think in different hands and with like slightly different production techniques, I wouldn't be as excited by his music as I am. But there's something in like the way that the lower mid-range um, like elements come together or something, which just gives it this like impossible playability. Well, there is just something I think exciting is a good word for it. I think I was out of town at a festival when it first came into the office and I was like getting texts from... RA staffers like oh the best album is playing in the office right now you know this like never happens you know? <laughs> I think someone um, someone making an electro record in 2014 is kind of exciting that, that would be a, a little bit reductive but um, I would say a, a large portion are going on that kind of broken beat electro yeah, tip. yeah I mean the, the ingredients are kind of classic Hague sound you know it's got the, the acid lines it's got a mix of like break beats and straight up techno electro and there's, there's actually one really killer sort of punky track on there so there's it's the, yes they're all big tracks but there is a lot of variation there in sound still mm-hmm. I also think for me the the real flourish that this guy's extremely good at from his the I think it was the first big one was Ya Magic or might have been Twisted Balloon but the vocal samples are out of control like there, there's something about the um, timbre of the sound on the, on the vocals that's just yeah ridiculous also if he's listening uh, he should respond to my SoundCloud message <laughs> So, Aaron, uh, what's the track you've selected? The track I've selected is uh, Feet Liet. Okay, it's 
Yeah, 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 it's a he, this guy, Nick Curry. I mean, you haven't heard of him because he's not really produced many tracks. Um, I think he has two solo releases to his name. Most of his stuff has appeared on compilation uh, EPs. But yeah, he comes out of the, uh, this guy, Nick Curry, his real name is Ruben Candelario. He comes out of the same scene as um, DJQ and Joey Anderson. And yeah, he's just been DJing with these guys. He's friends with these guys, kind of got into production at the same time that all of these guys did. And I remember I was doing an interview with DJQ about maybe a year, year and a half ago. And uh, he said something. He's like, you know, yeah, we're going to, you know, we've got Joey is doing his thing now, but we're going to, we're going to bring Nick Curry up to the front. It kind of happened on, um, I guess the big track this year so far is this thing called uh, Thoughts of You, which was on the Semesters 3 EP on Strength Music, DJQ's label. And uh, it's just a, it's a monster tune. I guess if like, if Joey Anderson kind of like takes the, the DJQ sound and like digs underneath it into this like kind of super dark space, then Nakuri kind of like hovers above it, just massive pads. It's kind of house, but it's almost like too epic and ambient to really properly be house. I was at Bearkind maybe like a month or two ago and uh, Marco Shuttle played this tune in Bearkind. And I mean, it was just like blew the roof off of the place. It's yeah, it's astounding stuff. And um, he's got another release on Mora Music that just came out. Um, it's like a proper 12 inch with a couple of his tracks and they're just as good. Uh, really excited to see what, what he does. 
I think it's striking to me that although everybody has been as excited as they have about producers like Levon Vincent, Joey Anderson, etc., no one's really trying to do that sound. I think it's almost testament to the strength of like what they have as a crew that like there hasn't been this whole like bandwagon effect where everybody's trying to do those like real stomping like ethereal numbers. Is this guy on anybody else's radar? No. no. Jordan, you are so cool. Oh man, yeah, cutting edge. Unfortunately, we can't play his track because we've had a USB <laughs> fail. Oh no. I yeah, was just going to say, play the tune. Because <laughs> the, the way you set it up as well, I mean, it was going to be fist pumping, but <laughs> we're going to move on. Stephen, who have you gone for? Yeah, I've gone for Max Graf or Graf, is that how you pronounce it? Graf. Graf, yeah. So he's a young chap, German fella, 21 years old, I believe. And um, I'm just really excited about him because I know that I'm going to be liking his records if they stay this good for a very long time. He's got a very similar thing to most of my favourite house producers where he's clearly making house, but he's not taking it head on. He's kind of a bit of a hip-hop approach, but also sampling disco and jazz records. And the end result is always something really danceable, but also really musically interesting as well. You know, he's got a lot of his tunes kind of have a novel twist halfway through where a vocal comes in out of nowhere that you weren't really expecting, really perks things up. Um, his album, which, Will, what was the name of his album again? Rivers of the Red Planet. Rivers of the Red Planet. a couple of different titles, didn't it? Because the copy yeah. I've got is called something about... Yeah, like reclining uh, female nude. Yeah. And there was also a boorish chunk. <laughs> uh, there was one, yeah, the, yeah, the one. And the album itself went through a lot of mutations too. It started out as an instrumental hip-hop album. And just sort of, it was, there was a complete draft that was instrumental hip-hop. And then um, it just sort of morphed into this you know partly house partly hip-hop thing but okay i mean steven knowing you sort of a little bit at this stage um i guess it's ticking a lot of musical boxes for you yeah absolutely but on the flip side you know i'm quite a house head and this muse this style of doing house with disco samples or soul samples it has been rinsed it's been you know nothing has been rinsed more in dance music i would argue and to kind of have someone come along that does something novel with it doesn't happen very often it happens really rarely in fact and this guy has kind of nailed it what would you say is novel about it well I was just going to say I had the same reaction to it I mean I listened to this record it sounded like records I was listening to two or three years ago but it was just so fresh and it's hard to put your finger on it it's almost just there's there's a different energy in it I mean I think the thing that's novel about it is him yeah Uh, like basically he has only been listening to this music for several years or something and spends more of his time listening to hip-hop and jazz and um he's not that thoroughly steeped in like a house background um so i think his, his natural approach is um you know it's, it's sort of like naive in, in a good way um he you know he's, he's not as aware of all the same like you know reference points as other house artists and um but and i think you know it's interesting to keep in mind that I think when you hear this album, there might be temptation to think that it's like a house artist mixing it, mixing it up a little with this hip hop stuff, and it's actually the way around. Um, like he would have more easily seen himself doing just a straight up hip hop album. The house thing just sort of came out of nowhere for him. But I guess the proof of that is with his DJ sets, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he probably uh, will end up playing mostly house, like as time goes on, um, just because of the clubs where he's playing and sort of like you know, the way things go. Is that kind um, of sad in a way though? Yeah. That you would just like smooth out all the kinks of his style? Yeah. Because there was that anecdote, wasn't there, about Panorama Bar, the, the discussion yeah. that he was having with yeah, his he, friend about yeah, whether he got, or not he'd get away with it. Right, he got booked to Panorama Bar and he said, do you, which by the way, um, he said he'd only been to twice 
and both times it was just because he had Australian friends in town that dragged him there. <laughs> uh, but him and his friends don't like panorama art, mostly because they're too young to get in. But anyway, uh, so he asked his friend, like, could I play a hip-hop set at panorama art? And he said, um, you know, they probably won't cut the sound, but um, like you, that'll be the last time you play there. But when he played, he did fit a few, you know, hip-hop tracks in there that, you know, sort of, it made sense. It, did, it didn't seem too radical. But yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like he has, he's one of these guys, I think there are other DJs like this too, where even if they're a house artist or a techno artist, they sort of have like an adversarial relationship with the 4-4 beat. Like they, they'll take any opportunity to deviate from from that, you know, what I've heard described as the, the tyranny of the kick drum, the tyranny of 4-4. Just like whenever it makes sense to go off into some other um, time signature or some other rhythm type, he'll, he'll do it. All right, let's hear the way from him. My selection is Young Marco. Um, he's a, a guy who came onto my radar in 2010 or 2011. He's based in Amsterdam and part of part of the city's house scene that kind of revolves around institutions like Rush Hour, Deck Mantle, Red Light Records. He actually worked as a, a graphic designer for, for Rush Hour and I think he's still involved with them. But he, he started putting out records for ESP Institute about 2011 and he, he put out two really excellent records uh, No 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 and Video Days and they both had this really nice kind of melodic new agey house kind of sound I mean as a, as a DJ and collector he's kind of digs everything from kind of new age to African music to house to disco and I think that really really shines through in his, um, in his productions and his debut album is actually coming out next week it's called Biology and I've, I've picked a track from that called Trippy Isolator all right, let's hear that one.
right, sorry for the abrupt change there. Uh, so I'm going to finish off with my selection. I've gone for uh, Mum Dance, who's someone who I admit I don't have a long-standing relationship with his music necessarily. His stuff was kind of on my radar a little bit. Some of this mad decent stuff, um, like the vocal tracks he did with Trim, I was kind of digging, but... I understand he stopped making music for a couple of years and like the style of stuff that he's come back with has just kind of blown me away a little bit. I mean, it very much dovetails with this new kind of wave of grind producers who have been coming through and um, he's been producing with Logos a lot, who's another one of my sort of new favourite artists. But I think over the selection of music he's released, I just don't remember being so immediately blown away by the kind of inventiveness just in this, terms of the sounds he's using the way he's manipulating the kind of rhythms he's going for uh, like particularly some of the more recent stuff I've actually found myself like laughing out loud a lot of the time just because of like the just the, the surety of the ideas but also like how the fuck do they think to do that you know in this kind of way there's also seems to be this simultaneous thing he has going on where he's like as fiercely looking forwards as he is backwards so lots of the sound palettes like old like hoover sounds and like amen breaks and these sorts of things but then at the same time the way that they're sort of arranged and manipulated is just like nothing i've heard before um there was the track it's peak which i think was on unknown to the unknown which was like a massive standout of the uh, Tesla set we had. We released as part of the RA event we, we did towards the end of the year. But the one I've gone for is forthcoming on Rinse. This one features Novelist to give you some sort of indication of like the breadth of weirdness on this record. This is probably the most straight up track of the release. One of the others, whose name escapes me, has a break that feels like like an outtake from a Arnold Schwarzenegger soundtrack section that then breaks into some like weird dislocated grime thing that's going backwards and then goes into another section. So, um, yeah, I'm going to play this one to kind of uh, finish us off. On a mum dance set, walk one for them and there, spending bare cash on ink. They could have Gucci belts, but go home to an empty fridge. I take time and think, Rube, where which thing this is? Man wanna be flash on gas when they got a whole bag of bills on a madness. That's why I just do my thing, and I don't watch face and ting, and I stay in my lane and ting, cause you done no say I got a brain and ting. Be a waste man, that's long. Bad boy, I got my head screwed up. No time for a guy on a long. Touch my car, put my guys on. Wanna war, tell a man run along. But then man, we don't get along. Don't talk if you don't want shots. Novelist, I'm a Lewisham dog. Stop. I take time and relax. Part on my ones, cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand true novelist. I write bars until I got a weekend. I take time and relax. Part on my ones, cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand true novelist. I write bars until I got a weekend. Stop. I take time and relax. Part on my ones, cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand true novelist. I write bars until I got a weekend. 
I take time and relax. Part of my words, cause I don't need that. Sitting in a booth, bang, and brand new. Novelists, I write bars until I got a weekend. Novelists, I go in, I done set. I make my own peas and bread. Trust, so I don't bread, I don't need to beg anyone for help. Rude boy, that's dead. Too many man watch face, that's dead. Keep chatting and bragging about things, that's dead. Not me, brother, I'm not one of them. The type of man there get bun like bled. People asking, when's the next show? Like, no, wait, stop, when? Hold a man, brother, man, but it's all blessed. My circle is tight, cause I part with the best. More time in a chill with a man there. If I'm not there, then I'm about to go set Putting in work, bare work, man, I upset I'm in my own lane, so, so, so Be a waste, man, that's long Bad boy, I got my head screwed up No time for a guy on a long Touch my cup, put my guys on Wanna walk, tell a man, run along Run them, man, we don't get along Don't talk if you don't want shots Novelist, I'm a Lewisham dog Stop I take time and relax. Part on my ones cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand tune. Novelists, I write bars until I got a weekend. I take time and relax. Part on my ones cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand tune. Novelists, I write bars until I got a weekend. Stop. I take time and relax. Part on my ones cause I don't need max. Sitting in a booth, banging a grand tune. Novelists, I write bars until I got a weekend.